0: This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Friends, let us pray. Almighty God, you have spoken your word to me. I pray now that I would decrease so that you might increase and speak it through me, and if necessary, Lord, please speak in spite of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, our second scripture this morning um, comes to us from the prophet Micah chapter 5 verses 2 through 5. It can be found if you're interested on Old Testament page 865 in your pew Bibles. So Old Testament page 865. And if you're interested in finding it in your pew Bibles or in your own Bibles this morning, you can do that at this time um, while I set up our conversation for today. So today is indeed the fourth Sunday of Advent, um, just before, right before Christmas Eve, and it is traditionally a Sunday in which we reflect on peace, on what it means that Jesus was called the Prince of Peace, that Jesus was to be the hope for peace in our world, that when we receive Jesus, we receive this spirit of peace. And one of the things that um, I've always found to be true really throughout Advent, really is the foundation for this whole series, is that while we talk about something like peace, while we come to church and we proclaim it, we sing it, we pray it, the reality is that if we maybe take a few seconds to engage our hearts, look inward, look in our homes, look in our communities, look around our world, the chances are we don't have to go very far before we realize that There might not be a whole lot of peace to go around at times. And this is a season really where peace, and perhaps its opposite of chaos, if you will, um, kind of come together in extravagant fashion. If you want to know what I'm talking about, just after church today, go to literally any shopping center in the Apex or... Raleigh or Durham or wherever area Um, If you want to know what I'm talking about perhaps talk to a loved one about possibly Doing a last-minute change to your Christmas Eve plans (laughs) (laughs) This is not personal experience that I am talking about at all It's interesting Because it's so prevalent in our world. It's so real that even amid, like, you know, all, like tomorrow, people are going to come to church. You know, maybe even if you're traveling, maybe you're going to travel somewhere and you're going to go to church. And and maybe for an hour, you're going to sing some Christmas songs, you're going to light some candles, and you're going to have a moment to just kind of take a deep breath. Um, But probably also surrounding that time will be moments of, Oh my gosh, are the kids ready? The kids aren't ready. What are we going to do? Can we get them all in the car? Are we Are going to get to church on time? We're not even there an hour early, so how are we going to get a seat? I have no idea. Is dinner ready yet? No, dinner's not ready yet, so are we going to eat dinner after? If it's not ready, if we haven't cooked it, is there someplace open? Do we have... In the midst of everything, the peace and the chaos of the season um, just come together in a powerful and a beautiful and sometimes annoying way. Part of the reason for this series we've been preaching through through Advent, this series of Emmanuel, God with us, is just to have a reminder that when we were given this gift of Jesus, and Jesus was to be called Emmanuel, God with us, we believe that that Jesus is fully God and fully human, not 50-50, but 100% and 100%. So fully with us in our humanity and the things that we experience in our humanity is the person of Jesus. It is the fullness of God pleased to dwell within the fullness of who we are as people. Which means that even as we journey through Advent and as we light candles of hope and love and joy and peace and we can acknowledge the presence of Emmanuel, God with us in our hope, in our love, in our joy and in our peace, but we can also speak to the reality of The presence of Jesus in our disappointment, in our indifference, in our sadness, and even in our chaos. And that is exactly what I believe is the work that the prophet Micah is striving to do here in chapter 5. And so I'm going to read this scripture for us at this time. Hear now the word of the Lord. Micah says, but you... O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord." in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to begin by giving a little background information on the prophet Micah before we dive into the scripture. Um, First, I believe we're going to put a map up on the screens for you. Uh, Micah is prophesying at a time when there are two kingdoms amongst the Hebrew people, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, both kingdoms are experiencing a lot of turmoil. The Neo-Assyrian Empire to the north is coming in and laying waste to the kingdom of Israel. and Then you have the Assyrian Empire in the south coming in and laying waste to Judah. So there's lots of turmoil, there's lots of political unrest because the people don't really know who's governing, who's taking care of what, who's in charge. And this is really kind of the backdrop for most of our biblical prophets as they're speaking into history and what God has for the people. And Micah's prophecy concerns really the two epicenters um, of each kingdom, so Samaria in the north and then Jerusalem in the north in the south. Um, Micah is prophesying to these two places because they have turned from God, they have sinned, there's all this stuff going on, and Micah is saying that as a result of those things, this is what is happening to us, and we are not following in the ways that God is calling us to walk, and so these people are laying waste to us, all of these things, and he says this is going to continue to happen, but there is hope coming There is hope on the horizon. And that's where Micah begins in chapter five by referencing this little town of Bethlehem. But he doesn't just say a little town of Bethlehem. He gets really specific. He says, but you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah. Now that might not seem significant, but the reality is that at this time there were thousands of little places. This this map is not all inclusive of every town and every clan that would have been around at this time. So there were thousands of little towns spread out all over the place, and, and this kind of prophecy um, was meant to be very specific with where it was talking about. It's like, it's like if you were to write down someone's address, and when you put down the zip code, you included the, the final four digits of the zip code. Anybody ever done that? No one ever does that. <laughs> Micah did that. Micah did that. If you're wondering, I did the research. It would be like if I were to say I live in Apex 27502-4451. One commentary I read had this to say. It said, the best prophecy always gets specific with its zip codes. (laughs) I'm talking about you! Specifically you. And this is exactly what Micah does here. He wants you to know that it's not just... Any old town. It's this little town of Bethlehem that might be kind of like a middle of nowhere town from this little clan of Judah, this tiny little clan of Judah that might seem insignificant. This little place gets a front row seat to God's saving work in the world. But one of the um, great beauties that we have, and I believe to a smaller extent, the beauty that the people um, listening to this prophecy would have had, is that. This isn't kind of the first major thing to happen in Bethlehem. Indeed, there's someone else who's already come out of this little town of Bethlehem, Um, a little shepherd boy, the youngest of his family, that would eventually be anointed by Samuel and go on to be kind of like the great king of Israel. This is King David. King David has already come from this little middle-of-nowhere town called Bethlehem. And here Micah is saying, yet again, God is choosing Bethlehem. This person is going to come out of Bethlehem, and it's all pointing um, to this beautiful truth and reality. And that is that God can do big, extraordinary, incredible things, even from the smallest and most unexpected of places, and through the most seemingly insignificant and unexpected of people. That's what this first little portion of this scripture gives us. God is capable of doing big things through the small and unexpected and seemingly insignificant. And I wonder if any of you can think of any moments in your life where God has done Um, something meaningful in your life through a small and unexpected and seemingly insignificant um, way. In the midst of the chaos surrounding the people, Micah is giving a prophecy of a coming peace. And he says it's going to come from this little town in the middle of nowhere called Bethlehem. But then he goes on into language of prophecy that people might have been a little more familiar with. He says, there is one who is coming to rule in Israel. This is verse 2. From you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Now this language of one who is to rule is what the people would have been waiting to hear. Yeah, this great and mighty king who's going to come and he's going to overthrow our oppressors and he's going to reestablish the great reign of Israel, he's gonna unite the kingdoms, he's gonna make everything better. But what's interesting is that what Micah is doing is he's not he's connecting this person to come with the person of David, but he's not connecting it with all the great military conquests of David or the ways that David expanded the kingdom, he's connecting it with again the more insignificant, seemingly insignificant aspects of David's life that he came from this town of Bethlehem. And then finally, that David was this shepherd. In verse 4, Micah says, He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. This imagery of the great Messiah as a shepherd is not one that at this time would have been widely circulated and widely used. So as people were looking for a Messiah, they weren't really looking for a Messiah who was going to be more like a shepherd. They wanted a Messiah who was going to be more like a warrior. But the important part about that scripture is that he would lead in the strength of the Lord. This is what was missing from all the kings prior. So what happened throughout the history of the Hebrew people, is that they got to a point, Moses had died, Joshua had died, they didn't have any kings, they just had this group of judges, and all the people were saying, well, we want a king, we want a king, and God said, I will be your king, and the people said, well, sorry God, but you're kind of not enough, you're kind of not enough, you're not really here, we can't really see you, we need like a king with a crown, someone who we can see, who's going to help us actually protect us from all these people. And so God said, fine, I will give you kings. And if you read the history of the people, you will see how each of these kings, even if for a moment they led from a place of the strength of the Lord, it, off, it often did not last long or it did not last consistently um, throughout their reign. And so you see the rises and falls of the Hebrew people, moments where when they're in great prosperity and moments where they're um, in terrible terrible defeat and sorrow and lament. And what Micah is saying is that this one who is to rule will be different because he will lead you like a shepherd and he will lead in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. It reminds me of a scripture from the Apostle Paul who said, "My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in my weakness." And so in preparing for this sermon today, I started to think about how maybe I myself have strayed at times from this reminder that, you know as people of faith, as people of God, as Christians, you know, we are called to exist in this world really from the strength of the Lord, that this is, this is the thing that drives us, the thing that gives us the energy to continue to be people of God, because frankly, it's not always easy to be the people of God, the people who have to point to stubborn hope and joy and peace um, and love, even in the midst of all the things that push against us. And so a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to kind of Unplug for a few moments. Um, I took I took two weeks away um, from work. Praise the Lord, Hallelujah! I don't take that for granted. Um, Maybe at times you have found yourself in those places where you've just needed to unplug. Um, I was reading a book by one of my favorite authors, Anne Lamott, and she said, "You know, everything." She said, "Most things will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you, (laughs) including you." What a word I needed to hear in that moment. And really what I was looking for was kind of this inbreaking of peace in the midst of the chaos of the normal things we, you know, we all go through, the, the, the cluttered calendars and schedules and the busyness of life and work and family and all of those things, um, putting them together. And while I was away, I had the opportunity to, to read a book that helped to Um, shape some of my imagination for how I might engage um, with God and with the Spirit of God on really a more regular and more intentional basis. And that book was from a pastor named April Yamasaki, and it was called Sacred Pauses. Sacred Pauses, Spiritual Practices for Personal Renewal. And the point of the book um, was to say, you can have these moments where you unplug for a longer period of time, a couple days, a week. Maybe more than a week, two weeks, whatever it is. Uh, But what happens when you need to find that sustaining and all you have is a minute? Or all you have is a couple of minutes? What if you had a set of tools that you could go to that would encourage you to engage the Spirit of God um, fully and in a way that would sustain you when all you have is just a little bit of time? And so one of the things I did after I read the book um, was to set a little reminder on my phone, which has been really helpful. Uh, This is is no big thing. It's a small thing, but it's very much in line with this reality that Micah is saying that, hey, big things can come from small places. And I just have this little reminder on my phone. It goes off every day at one o'clock and it just says, Sacred Pause. And it just reminds me, and maybe not in that moment, but at some point in the latter half of my day, Um, to take a second to use one of the tools that I've gleaned from reading this book to connect with God. And I don't share this with you to kind of pat myself on the back, but really to give um, a testimony to, to the power that something so small can have to shift perspective on life. And then to not only shape and change your life, Um, but the life of people close to you, the life of your community, um, and truly what I believe is the life of your world. Because I believe as we, as people, connect more and more with the heart of God in more faithful and regular ways, it actually increases our capacity. Increases our capacity to connect with the God in ourselves, which is one of the most difficult things to do, In others, whoever the other may be, it increases our capacity to love, to understand, to listen when we do these things. And I think in those moments, when we find that connection, it helps us to connect to the peace of God that Paul would say surpasses all understanding. A peace that is present and persistent, even when we might not be able to fully grasp Why it's there. So tomorrow is Christmas Eve. And again, we will see that tension between peace and chaos in our churches, in our world. I mean, it is just all over the place. And even beyond kind of the scenario that I made up in the moment, there, there are people, and not just in some far-off land, but people right here in our community who will experience the chaos of maybe not knowing where they're going to lay their heads tomorrow, not knowing where their next meal is going to come from, much less whether or not there's going to be anything under the tree. And again, not in some far-off place, but even right here in Apex, North Carolina, just next week we're going to open up um, our family promise ministry where we take in families who are in between permanent housing and we give them a place to stay. It's because even at this time of year, people need places to stay. They need places to lay their heads. One of the things that has been helpful for me that I wanted to share with you that I kind of received um, from this book was a practice that I've been using um, over the last month or so. That has been really helpful. And it's about establishing what um, Pastor April would call an everyday icon. Now, an icon in religious speak is typically a picture or a painting um, that helps connect you with your faith or with questions of faith. So we have an icon up here um, on the screen. It's Mary and the baby Jesus. And I have friends who will they'll have these all around their house or in their offices or on their phones, whatever. And they just kind of look at it and they pray and they ask, you know, God, how are you speaking to me through this? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to tell me through this? And what Pastor April said is these things are nice, um, but what if we could have everyday icons, things in our lives that we could look at or touch or feel or whatever that would immediately um, encourage us to connect with the heart of God. For Pastor April, it's a coffee mug that sits on her desk, and she actually never fills it with coffee. Um, It just sits on her desk, and it doesn't matter how cluttered her desk gets. Nothing takes the coffee mug off her desk. And it's a place that she looks to. She looks at it every single day. She can't help it. It's right there. But it helps her to connect with God. It reminds her of the warmth of God, the fellowship of God, and encourages her to pray and to talk to God. So I was thinking about what might be an everyday icon for me, and I, I chose a picture. I chose a picture of my daughter. It's an overwhelmingly cute, so just be ready, because you might not be able to hear a thing I say after I show it to you. But I'm willing to take that risk, because it's that pretty. Now I'll tell you that I put this on my phone, and I put it on my work laptop, and I open my work laptop all the time. I'm, I like live behind that thing sometimes. Um, and I've attached a word to it, and that word is perspective. So every time I open that work laptop and I get ready to open a folder or open a file or I open up my phone and I try to look at an email or whatever, I have this picture in front of me and I think of this word perspective. And in the moment, it just causes me to, before I start doing anything, just take a deep breath and just say, God, remind me of your presence even in this moment even in this work, regardless of how I feel, remind me that you're here. And then I go on with it. This might take a little thought. God forbid we think every now and then. But I would like to encourage you. I would like to encourage you, um, if you have a minute, to maybe ask yourself, is there something in your life that could have this same kind of presence, even if only for a moment, even if only for today and tomorrow, what might an everyday icon be for you that you could either keep with you or place somewhere in your home that you would see it so that perhaps this afternoon or even tomorrow, outside of church, you would be encouraged to connect with the heart of God, even if just for a moment. And what kind of difference might that make in your life if you're able to establish that rhythm over a period of time? One of the commentaries I read for Micah, in speaking to the different ways that Micah talks about Jesus, said, here is a difference that makes a difference. Here is a difference that makes a difference. And I believe that that's what's being offered to us today is the opportunity to experience maybe these next 48 hours in a way that is different, that actually makes a difference in our lives, and that I truly believe um, can make a difference in your life, in your home, in your community, and even um, your world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.